Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And on this show, we're going to talk a little bit more about reinvention, which has been a topic that we have covered several times on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, because entrepreneurs always have to be ready to make that pivot. I think sometimes when people start their own business, they get all excited and they think, I'm going to start selling this product or service. People are going to buy it. The world is my oyster and things are just going to happen and, and there won't be any surprises along the road. But those of you who are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, or even if you're working for another company and you, you just have that entrepreneurial spirit, you know that the best laid plans that we have often go astray. And the reality is sometimes things just happen in life and we have to be either ready, willing, or able to reinvent and move forward and, and keep swinging on another day. So today we're going to talk to my friend Steve Golab. For 20 years, he was a successful entrepreneur. He saw some of the highest highs during the boom over the last 20 years for people working in and around technology that you can imagine. But as he knows, things happen. There's recessions, there's issues with health, there's things that happen with employees uh, and partnerships, and now he has changed his direction, and he finds himself running the Austin office of a much larger company. So he has gone back to work for somebody else. Now, I interview a lot of people, and I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurial who tell me, oh, now that I've worked for myself for a few years, I could never work for anyone else. Well, I've been working for myself for six and a half years, and I have the opposite thought. I think if I was ever to take a job and go work for somebody, I actually would be the best employee they've ever had. Because what I've experienced over the past six and a half years is it's hard to be an entrepreneur. It's hard to be the person, even if you're a solopreneur like I am, it's hard for the buck to stop on your desk and you have to be responsible for everything that happens. And so we're going to talk to Steve a little bit about what it is to find yourself on the employee side of the equation after 20 years of being the boss. But I want to hear his story because I think that his story will inspire all of you in the fact that you just have to be ready for what comes along. So, Steve, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thanks, Tom. I, I, I really appreciate your passion uh, for entrepreneurship and for inviting me here today. look forward to um, sharing more with, you, with your audience and, and talking more exactly about like some of the issues around reinvention. Well, and you reinvented a couple of times with your business, and, and now you've sort of reinvented your, your life to become an employee again. So let's get started. I gave a little bit of an overview of who you are and what you've done, but why don't you tell people about the business that you had, how you grew it, and, and what led you to where you are today? Okay, yeah. Uh, in 1994, at the dawn of uh, HTML 1.0, uh, myself and two other co-founders uh, launched an agency called FG Squared, where we were helping global enterprise. Uh, leverage the web and uh, digital media uh, to increase their sales, reduce their costs, and improve their overall productivity. And uh, it was an amazing uh, run that we had between 94 and 2001. So year seven, about where you are, Tom, hit our first major uh, bump in the road. It was uh, We had 45 employees at the time, and uh, we lost a million dollars of our $1.25 million pipeline in 24 hours from three different customers, and we ended up having to uh, let go of um, 30, employee, 30 of our 45 employees in, um, 20, in 30 days. 
so that was um, the beginning of our first major reinvention, and um, and I could tell you more about it, but I'd just shoot forward and say um, we um, it ultimately led to um, us uh, the two original co-founders with me ended up leaving and we repositioning around the business and and I I brought on some other partners and uh, together we grew the business again. Um, for until 2008, where we we had had our best year ever in the life of our business in year 13, when we had to reinvent ourselves just again when the when the global financial crisis hit. So, our digital agency pretty much stayed as a digital agency over the first 13 or 14 years. But we, by by 2008, we, we recognized that we need to reinvent again, like a major reinvention. And um, we went a little deeper than we did the first time. It was more of a cultural intervention where we we, um, we intervened and um, and we, we did a variety of things, including launching a co-working space inside of our business to cover the uh, the risk of having a long-term lease obligation. We actually invited um, the entire local interactive scene, the scene of creative professionals, software developers, and journey-oriented entrepreneurs to come and um, work out of our space. And we would, we would serve them coffee and give them free Wi-Fi and in return, uh, and they would be a part of our community and, and would, um, and would um, you know, participate in lunch and learns and, um, and, that was a great experience. We were really focused on showcasing and fostering a local interactive scene here in Austin. And then I had a health scare. You know, I used to walk to work, to and from work. It was about a five-mile round trip. And uh, one day it was about 100 degrees. I was walking home. I was about half a mile from home, walking up a hill. I hit, I hit what I call an invisible wall at the top of the hill. And uh, what it was was I had a major artery burst. Uh, it's left anterior descending, also known as the Widowmaker. Ouch! Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was something. Um, unfortunately, I didn't know that my artery burst, and I didn't call nine one one. But fortunately, I didn't die on the spot like I should have, and <laughs> I I ended up walking home, and um, I actually tried to Google. Uh, what had happened? Last thing I thought was that I had an artery burst, and um, and I um, I went five days before I got to the doctor, and the doctor by the time I got there, all the markers of having an artery burst were gone. Oh my god! Um, at least from the tests that they ran on me, and um, they sent me home. And ultimately, through you know through the the you know healthcare system, it, it took me about twenty eight days before they finally diagnosed that I had a ruptured. Um, artery and a cardiologist uh, um, told me that I was the luckiest patient that he had had in his career, and that um, I needed to be on the I needed to be his first patient on the table in the morning to have a stent um, to reshape my um, my uh, left anterior descending artery, and uh, and that was crazy. So um, because I you know had spent half of my life running FG squared, and now. Um, everything seemed like it didn't matter as much. And I was really like in shock as to how I could have gone 28 days, uh, without, um, without knowing that I had a ruptured artery. And so it kind of sent me into what I, a, a new phase of my life, which was more of a, I, I call it more of a spiritual journey where I was, I was really doing a lot of exploration into, you know, what it was, what, what was going on in my life where I, you know, something like this, um, could happen. And, um, and in the process, you know, work continued on 
and uh, we were we were killing it for the first six months after the health scare. But I, at least it seemed like it on paper. But at beginning of 2014, we were looking, and things weren't. All of a sudden, we were starting to have some bad signs. We were having some issues with some jobs. Uh, the cost of talent was going up. Our largest customer was in the middle of a um, merger, um, and uh, all their spending was stalled. And um, you know, we were really looking at the need to innovate. And um, and I sat down in the room with my team. You know, we, we had innovated you know many times in the past, and we um, and you know, looking at them, they were really. Th- they were telling me that we didn't have any time to innovate, that we had some customer issues that really need to be addressed and, um, and that that was more important. And so I kind of, at the time I, I trusted that, you know, we could get those done, um, in the time needed and then we could go to and innovate later. But, um, as time went on, we still hadn't solved these customer problems and what, I, what I had thought would take a month ended up taking three or four months and, uh, business conditions had gotten a lot worse. Um, so we, um, so, um, it was my birthday, 2014 and in, uh, about, and, um, I woke up in the morning and I, I I had an, a email from one of my longtime business partners who had co- actually was a co-founder who was doing a lot of dev for us. And he was saying that, you know, things had slowed down enough where he was going to have to look for, um, some more work. And, uh, and I could feel my chest and, um, it was a sign to me cause after, you know, after starting this like journey, I had realized I had to start paying more attention to my body. And, um, I decided that I no longer wanted to, you know, be the person where the buck stopped here for everything. And including my, uh, my family had a lot of, um, you know, had a, um, we were backing the credit line. Uh, that the company would need in case, in, you know, in case we ever had any sort of financial issues, we had a credit line in place and, and we were personally backing that credit line. And we decided that, you know, we just couldn't afford to do that given the current conditions. And so I had to go in and tell my business partner that, um, that I was going to move on. I wasn't, I wasn't, um, equipped to, um, continue to run the business and I wanted to reinvent myself and go, uh, go work for someone who had more resources where I could like actually have more, um, less risk and, uh, not be so much on the hook for everything going forward. But I imagine that's got to be one of the hardest decisions that an entrepreneur makes is to say, okay, I'm going to walk away and go become an employee. So what was going through your mind at that point? I really, I was really just really focused on investing in myself and in my body. And, and I want to, you know, be there for my daughter and my family. And I was feeling like, um, I had to get real about the situation and no longer be in denial about, you know, the, the conditions that things were in and, and realize that I'm no longer in, you know, that it, that I was wrong to think I was invincible for so many years, you know, like there's an error about, that entrepreneurs tend to make, um, that, you know, part of the reason why I think that people actually, you know, become entrepreneurs is because they have this like courage, uh, to go and do things that other people don't have to do, you know, that don't have the courage to do. And ultimately they, they persevere through that courage, you know, through the, through the tough times because of that courage. And, um, 
and for me, I had to realize is that I'm no longer invincible. And I had, I really, after 20 years, I decided that if people thought I was, you know, failing in some way because I, you know, persevered for 20 years, then they would, that would have to be their belief. And it wouldn't, you know, reflect on how I thought about myself. And I had to, you know, really start living in this world where I wasn't getting, um, I wasn't seeking validation outside of myself. And I let my ego dissolve a little bit and, and really start, you know, let go of that, that need uh, for external validation and, and really start living in the in the present and, and being, you know, validating myself and my own journey. So you were 20 when you started your business. So what do you think inside of you sort of led you to want to go create your own path, to leave school and go do your own thing? Was there was there something inside of you that, that pushed you to do that? Or was part of it just the timing that 20 years ago, you know, entrepreneurship and technology and, and things around, uh, you know, the internet sort of took off? And was it just a trendy, cool thing to do? Which one do you think it was? Well, I um, I was in engineering school and I was bored out of my mind. And uh, I was at the same time, I had launched a lab in engineering school for one of professors that was uh, focused on the use of digital media and the web for improving engineering education. And and I was loving that. And that was really exciting. And and the co-founders that I started the company with, they um, they brought me in because of that, the work I was doing. And I really didn't think twice about it at the time. I didn't th- I didn't have any idea how it would impact my life. I, I figured that it probably wouldn't work <laughs> but I went for it and um, I put my my whole self into it and you know after the second year and then the third year and then the fourth year and then you know next thing we know it's year 10 and year 15 and year 20 you know and looking back I didn't have the same kind of concerns um, that I should have but um, but it was a great ride while, while it went. Well, you bring up an interesting point. I think a lot of us who are entrepreneurs, we put a lot of our self-worth and our self-identification into our businesses. And so is that what you did in the early days? Yeah. I mean, I totally identified with this company. And it was at, at some point, there, is a, there was a, um, a depression that comes from you know, leaving, leaving that, you know, that identity uh, or separating that identity from the company. That was definitely a difficult thing to do, and I, I think you're right in terms of pointing that out, Tom. So what did you love most in the days that, you know, when it was going great, in the days it was booming and growing and you're hiring people, what was your favorite part of being an entrepreneur? Well, it was fun. I mean, I, enjoy, I enjoyed the, you know, my favorite part, uh, honestly, was invoicing and collections. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> but um, I also enjoyed the people. And you know, getting to know all the people, and then ultimately, I enjoyed the um, the community and, and being a statesman of the of the local interactive scene. That was probably the most enjoyable part. So during the good days, the boom days, what did you like the least? I mean, were there ever days that you woke up during the, that time where you said, "Yeah, I could go work for somebody else"? Uh, no, I never thought about it. I, um, but what I liked the least was probably any sort of the, the drama that came with, um, some of the, uh, people, you know, especially, um, especially in cases where, you know, it, it caused an impact with, you know, our customer relationships. Those were the things I didn't like. Uh, 
Um, I also like it was kind of difficult dealing with you know my original co-founders leaving and you know finding the the courage within myself to keep going in spite of losing them and um, and you know knowing that every night all of our you know sort of intellectual property walked out the door <laughs> that was really um, always you know challenging. So let's fast forward to, you know, after you had the heart issue and after sort of the economy and some other things dealt you a couple of blows, and it came time that you had to really start making this decision, this decision to say, after 20 years, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to re- reinvent, you know, who Steve is on a daily basis as a worker and as a person in business. Let's move forward to that. What was some of the things that were going through your mind? Because I think for anyone who's listening, you know, being realistic about the situation, that's the thing when you went through this that I thought you did a great job of, at least from the outside looking in, is you did a really good job of saying, this is what it is. Where do we go from here? And, and I think successful entrepreneurs do that even within their businesses, right? They, you have to be realistic. And if you're going to make a reinvention, you, you can't mess around. you got to be honest. So what was going on as you had to make this change? Tom, that's so right. I think it, and that's a really important part of the story is looking in the mirror and like seeing what's really being really honest and looking at not being in denial about the truth and so that you can make the right decision based on where you are. I think that that's always important during reinvention. And, you know, I just think I took it, ultimately took it down to the, you know, self reinvention. And a lot of what I did was I, um, I consulted with people who had done it before. Um, friends of mine and also with people who weren't friends. I watched a lot of YouTube. <laughs> but I also, um, I also started, a, um, um, I started um, stewarding the Bootstrap Austin community, uh, working with my friend uh, Bajoy Gaswami to reboot it um, for the third time and focus on um, developing a learning community of entrepreneurs who are interested in um, stewarding more meaning into their lives and communities and uh, cities and organizations and and that was a great experience because not only did I um, get to meet a lot more people who are in the process of you know rethinking their own lives but I also um, I also got to be more of a facilitator of a, of, um, a, pro- a learning process and um, and be behind the scenes working with Bajoy on some of his journey framework and um, and I started developing my own um, sort of um, metaphors for life and um, and, um, you know, for instance, you know, the invisible wall is definitely one of those metaphors. It's all about, you know, denial. Um, also I, I developed this thing called the puzzle of questions, which helped me like with self-examination, understanding what the, what were the questions that were important to me? Um, and I think that that was, that was a really valuable process. And ultimately I did a, a sort of, I went, I did a, you know, as part of my inner journeying, I did a, um, I developed a, um, a life journey sort of model, a model of my life journey, kind of looking at, you know, from year one to 13, you know, this was my life. And then I had a major change between year 13 and year 40. And now where am I in my life? And how does this fit? And, and how can I bring my whole self into my next job? And, uh, and what, what is that going to be? You know, and fortunately, I, um, after about two months of being unemployed, I, um, I found a part-time temporary job and, um, and that lasted for six months um, while I was sort of figuring out um, my next full-time job, which I had no idea what, what was going to happen. 
But what I did um, was I, um, while I was working at that part-time temporary job, which, by the way, it was kind of funny. I took a job that was um, as a research assistant. It was um, a job that was being filled by um, (laughs) 22-year-olds prior to me taking it. But the eight 22-year-olds lasted in the job for about a month at a time. Before I finally took the job over, and I, I I took it for six months, and actually uh, put the life of the of the project that was at stake. I, we 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 brought life to it, and it was really valuable for a friend of mine. And um, and in the time, I I was actually meditating on my life a lot, and um, and developing um, a, a deeper understanding of who I am and what was important to me. And, um, and realizing that I had to, I basically had to let go of some of the things that I always enjoyed in order to, you know, move on. And, um, and surprisingly, um, after about, you know, 30 rejections, um, the, probably the best opportunity that possibly could have opened up, opened up for me. And it's working here at vitamin T, which is a division of Aquent that focuses on staffing uh, digital creative talent uh, for um, employers, both on a freelance basis and um, and on a, a contract-to-hire basis. And so it took the entire 20 years of my journey, professional journey, and the community that I've been building, and now I'm able to, and they were also interested in stewarding the local interactive scene, which is really awesome. So they, they share in my values and um, and it's been a, um, it, and I just started two weeks ago and it's, uh, I've been put into a role as the, the local manager, the, basically the manager of the local marketplace, including, you know, supervisory responsibilities of everyone who works here in Austin. So it's been, um, it, it, it really leverages a lot of um, the experience I had as the CEO of FG Squared. So it sounds like you've landed in a place where you can use all of your talents and everything you've done and still kind of have that, you know, ability to steer the ship. And I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. But first, I want to go back because you talked a lot about sort of that journey of self-discovery. And while you were talking about that, it dawned on me that a lot of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs, when you run into them on the street and you say, hey, how are things going? You know, in addition to them going, oh, I'm so busy and then lamenting about all the stuff that's on their calendar, they also always only talk about the stuff that's great. Nobody ever, you know, and I don't know that you want to greet people with all your woes, but everybody puts on this big facade of what's going on and only showing the good stuff. How hard was it to do the self-discovery and actually sort of peel back the onion and look at yourself that closely? It's really difficult, you know, to like be sober um, about it with people um, and, and do it in a very positive, you can still do it in a positive way. You know, it's like you have nothing to be ashamed of. Like, and that was the like thing. It's like no one's been on this journey um, with me um, as long as I have. And all that really is important was, you know, how I felt about it. And I felt really good about it. I felt like I was making the right decision for myself in spite of the fact that, you know, I had a lot of people um, who were close to me and who were involved, you know, whether at home or or at work who were questioning the decision. It was it was a hard decision um, because of the impact that it had on other people, That w- things that were outside of my control. They, they didn't really appreciate the decision as much as I did. 
Well, you said you connected with a lot of people and talked to a lot of others who'd gone through reinventions and, and started over. How important was knowing that you weren't alone in trying to make these changes? Oh, it may it really helped. <laughs> it really helped. Well, because I, mean, I, I think the hardest part of being an entrepreneur, especially for me as a solopreneur, is the I am all alone feeling. I mean, my, my wife is very supportive. Uh, I have a business partner for one a venture that I'm involved with, and he couldn't be more supportive of everything that I do if if you paid him money to do it. But at the same time, I find myself very often feeling that very big pain of loneliness. And and I know from my personal journey that when you're looking at making changes, you know, people don't line up and go, yay for your changes. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's my one piece of advice for all entrepreneurs who are solopreneurs is to get a partner uh, and get a partner early. Because um, so that they don't, uh, so that they have um, buy-in into whatever you're doing, and um, that you can create something together. But that's my own perspective on it because I uh, because I feel what you're saying, and I and I think it's real. Um, that being said, um, w- the other thing that I that I hear you saying is like, well, you know, hey, how do you actually how do you work with those people? Um, you know, and, and, and how, how are you working together with those people to create a result that's better than you would as a solopreneur? And, um, and you know, I've developed a whole process and articulated a process for that through this, like, reinvention. It's a process I call holding space. So, um, you know, I'd love to talk to you more about that sometime, too. Sure. Well, we'll have you back and we'll just talk about holding space. But why don't you give us just a little tidbit since you brought it up? I don't want people going, hey, what the heck is that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the idea of holding space is this idea where you're where you're convenient. It's, pro- it's the process that I've led my life by. And I, I, I basically have articulated into a four step process where it starts with convening people in a safe place where they can uh, where, you know, we talk about the goals and the questions that bring us together. And um, and then what we do is we take everything that's in our pockets uh, and I mean that metaphorically, and we throw it on a table, you know, whether it's the connections, experiences, relationships that we have, and, and we, we look at ways that we can self-organize and, and take action uh, based around, like, what we have time and energy to do. So rather than, like, you know, focus on, on something that's outcome or results-driven – uh, where, you know, we need vision, we need to get here and we're here and we don't have everything we need. So, you know, what this process of holding space is about is it's about, it's more abundant, abundant, uh, abundantly minded in that we're like throwing everything that we have that's at our fingertips on a table and we're self-organizing for taking action, uh, ultimately securing, uh, commitments for the next step and starting over. So that's, um, it's a way that when you're when you have when when you're when you're reinventing when you're intervening cutting down into the you know getting as close to the bone as possible um sometimes you need um you need to work with other people and and look at the assets that you have together and look at ways that you can share and and do things together that would be more difficult to do alone so Steve you mentioned that you know you you took this part-time job and and you volunteered to work on some projects and so you were around people and you kept yourself busy and then you said that 30 companies sort of turned you down or weren't interested and all of a sudden the best opportunity appeared. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and what your role is at Vitamin T. Oh yeah Tom let me tell you a little bit about cuz you were you were on something there. Let me just real quickly tell you a little bit about what happened that like made this sure. possible. 
Um, I was not, um, I was, since I was, didn't think I was going to find another role as a CEO, I, um, it, you know, for my own business, I was applying for in new industries, um, in positions that people were regularly telling me that I was too junior for. And um, ultimately, I had to get real about that, and I decided that I wasn't pushing myself enough. And I, I decided I had to look for jobs that took advantage of my general management skills. And so I, all of a sudden, I switched gears, and I started only applying to jobs that they were, they were looking for general managers. And it turned out that you know, after running a company for 20 years, I, was when I, I stood out in the candidates for, for general managers. <laughs> And um, and so you know what what, what happened was is this this company is uh, has 250 people uh, working for it. This is Vitamin T, which is a division of a much larger global company. But Vitamin T has 250 people working for it in 20 cities in the U.S. And then it also operates in three other cities. In the local Austin office, they have uh, they're growing and they have six people who are focused on sourcing talent and sourcing employers who, you know, to match that talent up with. And uh, they needed someone who could come in and run the office, especially someone who had industry experience with digital media and, you know, cr the creative marketplace that we have here in Austin. So, um, so fortunately, um, you know, we found each other. That's great. So if someone's listening to this and, and they're going through their own bumps in the road and it's time to reinvent, what is the best piece of advice that you have for either someone who is entrepreneurial, you know, inside a company or somebody who's an entrepreneur with their own company who sees the writing on the wall, who has to make some changes? What would you tell them? Uh, well, yeah, so there's, there's a couple things. You know, for me, it's about, um, you know, it's, it's it's about getting inspired to become the best version of yourself and realizing that at some point if you're not able to, you know, getting real about if you're not able to do that through your, the resources that or the model that you've created, that there's another way. Um, and that can, a lot of times that, that requires letting go of the ego. And, um, and you know, the, what I did was, you know, I think I deconstructed myself and put myself back together in a more meaningful way that was more in line with where I was at this point in my life. And I think that the core action in doing that is what I call stewardship, which involves asking a lot of questions to understand where I was, you know, examining myself and, and, and asking the right questions to figure out where I was on my journey so I could find my, you know, the best way moving forward that really fit with who I am as a person today and, and who I am becoming. So I've got a couple more questions for you before I let you go. But first, I've got to thank my sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content and growing your audience. For an exclusive offer to the listeners of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things. So Steve, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is the coolest thing you are doing right now in your job? Wow. I'm drinking knowledge from a fire hose. <laughs> I'm, I'm moving into a new industry and, um, oh, and, oh, let me not forget about Austin Blues Review. I've got a call with uh, Pete Monfrey today. We're talking about the work he's doing on Austin Blues Review to, um, to um, revitalize the music industry here locally. Cool. I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. 
So drinking out of a fire hose, revitalizing music. So that's what you're up to. However, I think the best entrepreneurs and those with the entrepreneurial spirit, I think they're observers. So who do you see out there doing something cool? Well, I mean, the three people closest to me um, through this whole process, I think, are all doing really cool things. Um, You know, one is Bajoy Goswami. You know, he just got back from Grand Rapids, uh, where he's regularly going out and visiting cities and helping people uh, get in touch with how they can be better stewards of their city and better understand the essence of their city and so they can steward more meaning into it. So he just got back from Grand Rapids. I think that was a pretty cool um, uh, project. Um, my our, my friend Danny Gutnick, um, he he's uh, just launched his first book on essence mining, where he teaches organizations how to um, mine the essence of their organization so that they can be more effective. And then um, there's a, a gentleman in town by the name of John Lepkowski, who he's running a, a, a cooperative um, agency. That where they um, where you know it's a digital agency like I used to have, but rather than have everyone on as employees, he has them all on as um, co-partners. So there, it's a co-op uh, where they're like owners in the business. I think that's a pretty cool approach to to digital um, to the digital space. Excellent. So the last question I ask everybody is: I also think that those who are truly entrepreneurial, they want to do more than make money. They want to leave their mark behind. So what do you do to serve the greater good? I think I'm I'm going to reboot GoLab Austin as a consultancy to continue fostering Austin's local interactive scene. I think it's really important to keep the talent here in Austin um, if we want to, uh, because it's it's something that I've always um, cared about, um, and I I like to continue to see uh, that the people um, who work in the industry have um, have jobs and stay employed and are able to feed their families um, uh, every night. Um, so that's that's what's important to me. So, Steve, I want to thank you for being a guest here on the show. And I think your story is such an important one for the listeners because no matter where they are, if they're, if they're thinking of leaving a company to start their own thing or if they're thinking of leaving their own thing to go back into a, into their, into a company, I think one of the things we have to remember is that reinvention happens all the time and everybody has those bumps in the road. You had them because of the economy and because of your heart problem, but people have them for any number of reasons and it gets very lonely. And I think when we go through those dark days, we often think we're the only one who's gone through them. So because you're so honest and open and we're willing to share your story of reinvention, I think maybe you might have given hope to somebody. So thank you for sharing. Thanks, Tom. I really hope so. So if people want to find you and get a hold of you, how do they do that? Uh, They can uh, email me at golabatx at gmail.com or uh, Twitter is at Steve Golab. Those are the two easiest ways to find me. And Golab is just like it sounds, G-O-L-A-B. That's correct. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much for being willing to share your whole story. And to everybody who listened, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. And jump over to the Facebook page. Join the conversation. Leave a review on iTunes because I really love the reviews on iTunes. I go and read them all. And if you're interested in the group coaching program that we're putting together that I've talked about on the last few episodes, which is going to be the Cool Things Project, where we can get people who are just looking to, to get a small group together and talk through all the things we have to do to be able to grow a business and and reinvent, we're putting that together and I'm checking out people right now for interest. So just send me an email if you want more information. And that's Tom, T-H-O-M, at TomSinger.com. So come back in a couple of days. We'll be interviewing somebody else just as cool as Steve Golab. But in the meantime, I want you to go out there and have a great day. 
Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at @TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great-sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.